Well, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, it's a privilege to be here. Um, being on the road as much as I am, um, and I get a chance to go places that I've been before, and you get to know saints and you get to get involved in their families. I have perpetual, I have the privilege of having perpetual family reunions. Uh, I get to see people I haven't seen in a while, and it's always good to see them. And like with all family reunions, you learn how to avoid certain people. So um, there's not anything against you, Sean, but um, no, just kidding. Uh, my wife, uh, we, last weekend we had our, our ministry um, um, expression for women called Stay and Study in Myrtle Beach, and um, it's supposed to be a time when the men serve the women, and for the most part it is, but uh, we were dealing with people who are in their fourth year of the session because it's each year you graduate to another level, and the people who are in the fourth year got, get more intense study, and Stephanie wanted to teach this year on um, prayer, and so she had a session, and so she had a session, she was doing the registration, she was meeting people, she was helping to pick people up, she was helping to drop people off, uh, she was helping with the menu, she was going shopping, and so she just disobeyed me completely that entire weekend, and she's, she was really worn out, and I, she asked me did, she, did I want her to come, and I said, of course I do, but I, I think you better stay home, so she stayed home, and um, is hopefully getting a rest, which I doubt. Um, Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25. Now, you know, um, uh, we do not have uh, in any of the Gospels a complete chronological uh, record of the life of Jesus. Uh, The importance of the Gospels was not trying to make you read his daily diary. But the, the four prophets, the four evangelists, wanted you to catch the best highlight of what their soul was impacted by. God did not force them um, um, to be um, shallow in their presentation. He wanted what impacted them. And then they used the gift of their person and their their culture and their upbringing to express in their way what they saw about Jesus. Now, they saw all the truth. They saw, they saw it and described it absolutely right. It is the sacred writ. It is what heaven determined that earth would have. We're not limited. Don't ask me about the gospel of Andrew and don't ask me about the, uh, the epistle from Cletus. Forget all that foolishness. God, before the world began, had the word of God already established. And he knew what men he would put and women would put in place to communicate it. So uh, here in, in this particular story, Matthew's goal is to convince Israel this is the Messiah. And so the verbiage and the, the highlights and the nuances of Matthew were from the Jewish perspective. And he also caught attention on how Jesus masterfully wove the kingdom agenda into storytelling. And that's our, one of our arts of, of, of teaching uh, the Word of God is that of homiletics, the art of storytelling. And Jesus was the best at it. Nobody will ever deny that. And in this uh, chapter that is outlined for us, I think that I always tell people the Bible will outline and explain itself. You just have to be patient so that your humanity can crumble away and you can see things spiritually. Um, 
in this particular chapter, uh, chapter 25, you have five things highlighted. First of all, you have um, the prepared soul, the, the essence of the prepared soul in the story of the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. And then this passage that we're going to cover has two more um, aspects to it. First, the profitable saint, and that's verses 14 down to verse number 25. Verse number 24, I'm sorry. Then from verses 24 down to verse number 30, we have the, the um, punished servant, the servant that uh, did not do as master said, which we'll see in a minute. And then uh, the last part, verses 20, uh, 31 to the end of the scripture, we have the privileged sheep, the privileged sheep. So we have, first of all, um, the, the prepared soul, then the profitable uh, saint, then the punished servant, and then lastly the privileged sheep. These are all things that um, tell their own story with a slight connection before uh, in the previous story. So in, in the story of the ten, ten virgins, Jesus' last statement to them in verse number 13, watch therefore, for you know not the day of the, uh, or nor the hour that the Son of Man cometh. That is the the ending verse, yes, of that passage, but it also is the introductory verse for the next. He says, let me explain that to you in another way. And so this is where we pick up and interrupt the evangelist. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling in a far country who calleth his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to one another one, to every man according to his several ability. And straightway he took his journey. Then he that received five talents went and traded with the same and made them five other talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he gained other two. But he that received one went and digged into the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a time, a long time, the Lord of those servants, <coughs> excuse me, cometh and reckoned with them. So that he that received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, thou hast delivered me five talents. Behold, I have gained Beside them five talents more. As the Lord said unto him, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful of a few things. I'll make thee Lord rule over many. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou hast delivered to me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. And the Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he that which received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that thee were, uh, knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and wouldn't hid my talent in the earth. Lo, thou there thou hast what that is thine. His, and Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I have not sowed and gathered where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine with usury. Take for the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, he shall have abundance. But unto him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he had. Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, let's pray. We thank you, God, for the wonderful opportunity to set gaze on the word of God. We pray now that you would empower us so that we might communicate effectively. 
Let everything we say honor you as our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Um, the, the kingdom issues, the kingdom issues were really impacted Matthew. He is the only one of the evangelists that calls it the kingdom of heaven. Everybody else calls it the kingdom of God. Uh, I've heard different explanations on both ends. Oh, there's no difference between the two. And then some have said, well, the kingdom of heaven is that sphere of influence that uh, the Jew expected from God, that God was blessing toward them. And um, their, their vision of that was askewed, but they knew what the kingdom of heaven encompassed. Whereas the other, the three other uh, um, 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 gospel writers wrote about the kingdom of God, the complete sphere of God's universe, not just that from the perspective of the Jew. You can take it either way you want. doesn't matter. Um, uh, there's no heresy for believing one or the other. But uh, I think that, that um, uh, Matthew had a goal, and that was to give every, every opportunity for the Jew to see himself, see himself in light of what God has done through the Messiah and accept him. So here's our outline. First of all, let's look at the duties of the servant, the duties of the servant. It says in verse number 14, now for the kingdom of heaven was a man traveling to a far country and who called unto his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Now get this. The word here for servant is not the word uh, for a hireling, a guy who hires on for a period of time. He calls the master master. He is called his servant, but he's a hireling. He's a guy who gets a paycheck. The word here is not the word dikonos, uh, which is um, a fellow who is an indentured servant or a person who committed some type of crime has to pay it off from the person that he committed a crime against or someone who owed a debt. Uh, there are a lot of people who wanted to buy property or own a certain amount of property. They didn't have money, so they could sell themselves and their family into indentured servanthood. The longest that servanthood could last would be seven years, and then they had to be set free. That's, we don't, that word is not here. The word here is the word doulos. In this instance, it is one of those people who, as a, a dakanas, a servant, was uh, in service for seven years, and at the end of the seven years, as the scripture stated, they had to be set free. As a indentured servant, they looked very little different than um, a, a doulos. They they had to do everything the master said. They had no independence. They were their their lives were not their own. Their children worked for the master. Their wife worked for the master. The only difference is is that on the seventh the beginning of the seventh year he had to be set free he and the master were now equals they were not one was not privileged of the other he had his independence he had his right of freedom uh, there was nothing that the master could do to hold him however something could happen turn in your bibles please to exodus chapter 21 exodus chapter 21 And believe it or not, this happened more often than you think. Exodus chapter 21, and look at verse 1. <clears throat> now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy a Hebrew servant, six years shall he serve, and in the seventh year he shall go out free for nothing. 
If he came in by himself, he should go out by himself. If he shall were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters. He shall not go out by himself. There it is. There's a transaction that goes on. That's how a person uh, comes in indentured and uh, leaves free after seven years and the conditions of same. But notice what it says in verse number five. And if the servant shall say plainly, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go out free. Then the master shall bring him into, uh, unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awe, and he shall serve him forever. Simple as this. Something might happen. There might be some point of contact, some point of, of a relationship. Uh, and, and three distinct transactions will, be take, will take place. First of all, an individual decision is made. I will not go free. I am not pressured by my friends. I'm not pressured by the other servants. I'm not pressured by my master. Now, on my first moment of independence, I have made a decision. I will not go free. I will not. I love my master. It is at that point that we, we connect ourselves at this point uh, in our salvation. It is my decision that I accept Christ. I am not forced. Despite the influence of the room, it is not something that God decided and you had no choice. You cannot force your love on somebody and they have no choice. That's called theological rape. It is your decision that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God is raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It is an independent and individual decision. Simple as that. I love my master. I wasn't forced to love my master. I wasn't created to love my master. I love him from what has happened. I have transacted with him. I've lived with him. I've seen the way he works. And basically in my heart, it only makes sense to me to love him. So it's an independent and individual decision. But not only that, it's an impassioned decision. I love my master. Living without him is not an option for me. I love him. I want him. I want to be with him. That's the reason why people who don't know Christ as their savior, it's not an issue of whether or not heaven or hell with them. It's not the point, no, I'd rather go to hell. No, the point is, I don't want him. So I will take hell. You'll never see in any time, if you were to visit hell for any reason, or despite some people said they have, I doubt if they did, you'll never find in hell someone saying, man, I wish I was in heaven. No, because the option that they have is that heaven is where God is, his holiness, his righteousness, his lifestyle, and they don't want it. And if you are, are, are aggressive enough in your presentation of the gospel to those who are lost and who are rejected, are basically saying, I don't want God. But this is the story of someone who through a transaction of being with him, being around him, knowing his heart, says, I love him. I want him. I don't want independence. I don't want freedom. Freedom for me is being with him. I don't have the right of individual thought. I have no right of individual possession. I want to be with him. It is an impassioned decision. But also, lastly, it is an insolent decision. I will not go free. I will not be by myself. I will not serve someone else. I will not follow my own interests. So these people, these people who are called doulos, bond slaves, after they, that seven years, when they go into the marketplace, 
And people know that it is their day of independence, and yet they see this ring bore through their ear and the shackles around their arms and their children and their wives falling with them the same way. They say, wow, man, you could have been free. What a great servant you are. No, no, no. What a great master I have. You really love your master. And really the servant will say, no, my master really loves me. He lets me hang around. That's the doulos. That's the bond slave. And there's so many Christians who aren't bond slaves. They don't love him. You know, if if loving Christ was the prerequisite for getting into heaven, most of us wouldn't make it. But it's a byproduct of just being with him, being with him. And they love him. And they they say, Lord, I will give up this world itself, style and adorn. I've given up all the things that this world says impassionately that I must follow. I want you. I want you. So, yes, it's an individual decision, it's an impassioned decision, but also it's an insolent decision. I won't go free. I'll follow you through the ends of the earth, everywhere you go. I'll follow you. So here you notice, first of all, their devotion to him. And devotion from the servant demands trust from the master. Notice, go back to Luke, um, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 25. Notice, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country and called his own servants and delivered unto him his good. Not only could he, because of their devotion, trust them, he trusted them with his treasure, their duties. He looked at their duties and said, wow. I can give them everything of mine that's valuable. Look at the next verse. How did he measure that? It says in verse number 15, and he gave unto one five talents, another two, and to another one. Now the word talent there, depending on what the substance was, was it a talent of silver or a talent of gold, there's a different value. If it was a talent of silver in our money, it would have been $26,280 per talent. So at the very greatest, the servant that was given five talents was given just above $150,000. However, if it were a talent of gold, it was right equivalent at $512,000. So at the greatest, this one servant that has five talents is dealing with more than $2.5 million. And then the dude just leaves. The the master just takes off. That's absolute confidence in these guys because he knows notice what it says in verse number 15 uh he gave them to, to to every man according to his several ability and straightway he took his journey let's get this he knew that these guys were truly his servants he could trust them with his treasure because he knew truly they loved him that's part of the prerequisite of being a bond slave they loved me and notice what was what was the qualifier of how much he gave them. He gave one five, he gave one two, he gave one one. Notice, he gave according to every man's several ability. In other words, he sat back and watched them and he saw how they handled what was theirs innately, what was theirs, what they had of their own possession. Not something he gave them, but their own qualifications. Right? Where do you get that from? Turn to Romans chapter 12 and look at verses 6 through 8. Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. And listen to how Paul describes this. 
Verse 5 for context. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one member is one of another. Having this then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, uh, ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Get this, every single person who is invited and born into the body of Christ, you are given at least one of these eight gifts. It's yours. It's not a gift of the Spirit. It's not a gift to the church. It is yours. And you fall into one of those eight different categories. Now watch this. God has given you something innate that he's not going to take back. Chapter 11, uh, previously of, of, of the book of Romans says, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. He will not take them back. He may not bless you if you use them uh, unwisely or, or wrongfully, but he's not going to take it back. There are people who are given the gift of music or, or, or some other thing to minister to the body of Christ. Somebody, some people have been given the ability to be winsome, and, and, and that's a gift given to the body of Christ. And they can choose because it's theirs to do what they want. But God watches. God watches how you deal with what is yours before he will judge and determine what you could do with what is his. And I said that purposely because if you have a talent and you've used it for his kingdom in a half-carter kind of way, the next thing he gives you is not going to have the same amount of quality or value to it. But if you have all your heart with passionate devotion for the purpose of the kingdom, give all that you have with what he has given you, he will trust you with more. There are so many Christians who will sit on their gift just taking it for granted. Oh, yeah, I can do that. Who cares? There are people who are artistically inclined. Listen, I am so horrible at drawing, I can't draw a straight stick figure. I can't draw a straight line. I can't draw a crooked line. I barely can hold a pencil in my hand. My brother Ricky is an artist extraordinaire. Ricky, when he was six years old, his his teacher complained to my mother, he's always drawing, he's always drawing, he's always drawing. And my mother says, I don't know why he does that, he can't draw. He said, oh no, miss, he really can draw. At six years old, my brother was invited to Detroit Institute of Arts for a summer, a summer internship. And basically that's how my brother made his living, as a graphic artist. He can draw and paint so well that it looks like a photograph. That's, that's, he's just got that. With me, I, I, I had... I didn't apply in line. I can sing. I face it, I can sing. I can sing very good. You take the best singers in the world, I rank up there. And that's not pride because I didn't do it myself. I wish I could take the credit for being a good singer. I just can sing. So what? But the point is this. What did I do with it? My brother Ricky, what does he do with it? There are people in this room who have innate gifts. You're not supposed to snap your suspenders and say, look at me. It's yours, yours for the kingdom's sake. That's why you take no pride in it. That's why you don't brag about it. It's just the truth, and you use it for the kingdom. And there are people who have these gifts, and they use it for their own profit and not for the kingdom, and there's going to be stern judgment, which we'll see in a minute. But these men, the, the master just pulled back and watched them. He says, okay, they've given their lives to me. They've given their love to me. Now, will they give their labor to me? Will they do it? And so the guy that had five talents, I don't know, what he did or what his individual gift was or ability was, but he says, this guy is really great. I'm going to give him, let's say, two and a half million dollars. Then the guy with two, hey, this guy is not bad himself. I'll give him two talents. And even the guy that only got one, half a million dollars? I wouldn't mind taking that. Would you? And then he does something strange. 
he walks away. The master leaves for a long time to a distant country. Notice what the scripture says in verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 15. Each to his, according to his own ability, and straightway he took his journey. Okay? And notice, the Bible says in verse number 14 that he was traveling to a far country. That idiom is in reference to the fact that uh, everyone knew he was leaving the confines, the safety, the blessing, and the covering of the nation of Israel. Remember, that term term was used before in Luke 16 with the prodigal son. He took his father's living, and he went to a far country. That means he was going to a country by virtue of the, the inference that was not under the protection of Israel. And therefore, outside the promised land. That's how far he went away. And he went a long time. And these guys went to work, each based on what they were given and based on their devotion to their master. So notice, we look here and see not only their, their devotion and their duty and that, um, um, that they were dependable, but look at their deeds. They don't know when the master's coming back, but they go to work. Bible says in verse number um, 16, and he that received five talents went and traded with the same and made five other talents. He doubled his master's money. So you're looking at potentially well over five million dollars. And the other guy that had two talents, he went and he doubled his money. So you're looking at real close to two million dollars. These guys doubled their master's money, not knowing he's coming back. But what's on their mind is not how much money I made, but how much time do I have? I got to do the best I can with the time I have. That's the point. They were true to their master. He had his treasure. He could trust them, but they did not waste time. You know what the Bible says? Awake, O sleeper, and Christ will give thee light. Redeem the time. Why? For the days are evil. And when you get to the span that exists of, for you, the expiration of your here on time on earth, because the Bible says, as it is appointed, it is appointed unto man what? Once to die. God has determined for every single person on planet earth the day of their death. Each one of us is born with an expiration date. It's put on us somewhere. We just can't see it. And God says that time is absolutely set in stone. What will you do with your time? You should be redeeming the time because the days of evil. What are you saying? I'm saying that not only do you have a talent that you need to work and produce, but you don't know what the opposition will be. God wants you to work and do your work with the kind of grandeur that exceeds even your own personal expectations. Did you hear the title of the message? Ministry beyond your gifts and abilities. God wants you not just to have a gift and use it, but he wants you to expand it. He wants to take that nature of yours that sometimes is, is that you're, you're kind of uh, uneasy about, but you know you have it, and he wants you to multiply it. Nowhere in the kingdom of God is there the, uh, absent the, uh, the equation of multiplication. You put a seed of corn in the ground, one corn does not come back up. But a perfunctory, a plethora of the same thing comes back up. And you don't put a seed in the ground that is an apple seed and expect a pineapple tree to come up. God wants you to take what he has seen in you, that ability of how you manage your own gift that is yours, and he wants you to give you another aspect of ministry. Manage the same way. Use the same rubric, the same stencil, the same, same qualifications that you've managed your own innate ability with and do something greater for the kingdom. Do something greater for the kingdom. There's a friend of mine. He's, um, 
what happened in our church once, and you may have heard me tell this story before, is that um, the elders got together and we said we got to do something with our young be- people besides food, fun, and fellowship. We got to do something. We got to do something that be- prepares them for adulthood, prepare them for ministry, prepare them for opposition in life. So uh, a dumb, one of the elders who was real dumb, a fellow by the name of Dwight Knight, came with the idea. Let's do the talent trick right here from this passage. Let's give them all the same amount of money and give them a year to produce something. And we did that. So we gave every one of the, the, the young people who are old enough, all of them over the age of 16, we gave them $100 and, said, and had the same meeting with, with them and said, now, create. Come back in a year, give a report. Well, Amy Wallington, Amy just had it. Amy had it. Amy took that $100, she invested in something, and I can't, I can't quite remember what it was she invested, but I know what she produced. She got into embroidering, and she started selling embroidered different things, T-shirts, uh, table runners, napkins, and she took that $100, and she dropped a check of $3,800 on us when she got back at the end of the year. Wow. Wow, wow. But we expected that from Amy. Then uh, there was a girl there named Khadija. Uh, Khadija was a very... Um, she was a social butterfly. She was very winsome, very gregarious. Just never, I never saw a smile on her, uh, frown on her face. This girl just, just bubbled with energy. And she did a community uh, program that got people involved. And basically what it was, she got kids to take on uh, neighborhood projects. For example, she put bulletins up around the neighborhood and advertised that you could join a consortium. And a consortium was that things around your house that need to be done on a regular basis that you didn't have time to do, you hire our kids program and they'll do it, like raking leaves, shoveling snow, uh, cleaning out gutters, things like that. People signed up on a consortium of a certain amount of money each year, okay, and they didn't have to worry about their gutters, didn't have to mow in the lawn, all that kind of stuff. Khadija set up that program and it perpetuated until I left that church. It may still be going on, but the average kid made $900 in that year, and the church got the profit of the rest. And I think Kutija's program brought in about $4,500 that year. Great idea. Wow. Then there was Virgil. Then there was Virgil. Virgil came in with his report. Virgil, what did you do? Well, once a month, I took a guy who lived across the street from me to McDonald's for lunch. And y'all owe me $20. Okay, Virgil. Nothing else? No. That's the best you could do. One guy. Not several kids in the neighborhood, but one guy. One guy. How old is the guy? He's my age. He's about 24. Okay. All right, Virgil. Thank you. Khadija, Virgil, and Amy. And the best return we got was from Virgil. Because the kid across the street was the number one drug dealer in the city of Detroit. And Virgil took him to lunch. He went to high school with him, took him to lunch just to talk to him. And in month eight, his heart broke, and he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. No longer a drug dealer. Matter of fact, I think he's serving at a, a church in the neighborhood now. Renounced it all. See, it's not always about money. 
God has given you the ability to talk. You got the gift of gab. But you talk about things that mean nothing. You ever talk, hurt, met somebody? Honestly, nothing. Don't point anybody out. But you know, you ever met people who say beautiful nothing? Just, just can talk about everything? Nothing. Has no value. Has no return. But they can say it beautifully. Wonderfully. You want to hear them say nothing. Because it sounded so nice. But they have people who have the gift of gab and they know how to communicate Jesus. Yes, we need people like Amy. Yes, we need people like Adija. But man, don't we need people like Virgil who's just willing to sit down and talk. Listen. And when he can get an edge in, word in edgewise, he can talk about Jesus Christ. God has given you abilities and you may have even ignored them. You may have taken them for granted. But God will not. People say, why won't God use me? Why am I not allowed to do this? Why God, won't God let this happen? God has looked at how you use what he gave you innately, how you've ignored it, or how you've taken it to advantage and used it for his kingdom. And he blesses and he allows you to minister on that precipice. This is what you've done. And notice what the scripture says. It says back in, in verse number 19, it says this, after a long time, the Lord of those servants comes and reckons with them, makes right. That's what the word reckon means, make it right. So he that received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, thou hast delivered unto me five talents, saying, behold, I have gained besides them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, well done, thou good. He's not just a servant anymore, thou good. And remember, good is God's standard of excellence. God created the whole universe, and what did he call it? He didn't call it marvelous, he didn't call it magnificent, he didn't call it spituvendous, he didn't call it fantastic. He said it was good. That's God's standard of excellence, good. Well done, thou good. And piston, faithful, dependable, reliable, trustworthy, servant. Thou has been, been faithful with a few things. I will make you ruler. He is now elevated. He's no longer being called servant. He's being called ruler, master over many things. And besides all that, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He could have let him go away. Man, I'm going to give you a better house. No, enter into the joy, the fellowship, the relationship of thy Lord. Then the guy with two. He did just as well as the guy that had five. He doubled his master's money. If you had given him 10, he would have made 10 more. If you gave the guy 10, 20, he would have made 20 more. He was able to double what his master had given him. It wasn't the amount of the money. It was the faithfulness of the servant that causes the increase. You gave me two talents. I wanted you to give me 10, but you gave me two. But all right, I took those two and I worked it to death. And here's two talents more. He got the exact same commendation, the exact same reward as his fellow servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. If you think a half a million dollars of talent is a few things, okay. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you rule over many. 
Come now in into the joy of thy Lord. But to the third servant, look at what it says. Verse number 24. Then he which received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, gathering where thou hast not strawed, and I was afraid, and wouldn't hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there hast thou that is thine. You see, the profitable servants were profitable in that they took what their master invested in them and they did something with it. The reason why the third guy is not commended or even just excused, okay, I understand, go on your way, he lost money from his master. What do you mean, Dwight? Well, the master explained it. Thou wicked servant. Okay, you know that I'm a hard businessman. Okay, you notice that I take advantage where I want to. Yes, you see that I'm a person who doesn't, doesn't relent. If you felt that way about me, which is true, all of it is true, you should have had invested my money at least with the usury. Why? Because if you don't invest my money because of inflation, I lose money. That talent is no longer a talent. Its value has gone down. You should have at least put it to the marketplace with the creditors and did something. At least let it keep its value. Basically, you've gone backwards. And there are some of us who are born with those gifts, with those talents, and became selfish or slothful. And as a result, what could have been used in your generation, in the generation in which you have influence, you are no longer profitable. You are now a liability. And time has slipped by, and you can't get it back. And for unprofitable servants, not just servants who didn't do anything, but unprofitable, losing the value of their master's worth, it's punishment. It's punishment. God expects you not just as his servant, not just to do good. He does not expect you to do better. He wants you to do ministry beyond all that you have. God, if you are only serving God at the best level of your flesh, you are already in sin. If you are only serving God at the level of the possible, saints, you are in the flesh and you're in sin. God wants to push the extreme of your ability and your opportunity and your time on earth to the impossible, to the miraculous. God wants you to bring him the impossible situation so he can bless and he can mingle in with your desire to serve him. The grace and the power of the omnipotent, what only he can do and double what only he can double. Magnify and multiply what only is his so that the kingdom is increased. Isn't that what the scripture says? Follow me. Let your light so shine before men that they may do what? See your good works and... The whole point of God's uh, work on earth is for his own glory. And what you have done by not using those gifts and those talents in the way that you can, you are denying him the right of his glory. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Yes, you're nothing but a human. But we are given this treasure in earthen vessels that they might see the excellency of the power. This is not about the, 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 the earthen vessel, but the glory of God in the vessel. The reason why God wants us to be profitable servants is so it works out his end goal. To give him glory, not to magnify you, not to make the world think he's great. No, just for him to get glory. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all things to the glory of God the Father. 
That's why God first extends grace. Follow the scripture. Whatever starts with grace ends with glory. When a person appreciates the glory of God put in their life, that seed of God's wonderful glory in their life, they're to bring about his glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is given a thorn in the flesh. And he begs God to take it away from him. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for thee. Therefore, Paul says, therefore, I glory in tribulation. What starts with grace ends with glory. That's why we read in Romans chapter 12, he says, each according to the grace that is given him. So to end up in God's glory. It ends up in God's glory. God has given you something, church, not to ignore, not to push aside, not to covet somebody else's, but he has given something for you to magnify and to, and to exponentially increase so that it gives glory to him. You know, I'm be honest with you. Some of the greatest people mentioned in the Bible started out in the worst beginnings. Look at Jabez. My, it basically means, mother. sorry my mother had me. How would you like to go to school and the teacher calls off names? Billy, John here, Louise here, sorry his mother had him. He said, Lord, I pray that you would enlarge my coast and bless me indeed that it might not reproach me, that it might not harm me. And God granted him what he requested. Jabez means sorry. Isn't that what Jesus was, a man of sorrows? And Jabez increased his coast. He enlarged his coast. Look at blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus means a son of Timaeus at the time of our Savior. If you were born handicapped, they didn't even bother to name you. You were a non-life. You weren't allowed in the temple according to the Edict of David. His father's name was Timaeus. Timaeus means filthy, unwashed, and stinky. How would you like that as a name? Go to school. Timaeus, blind, unwashed, filthy, stinky. And he's on the side of the highway begging. But Jesus passed by and gave, O thou son of David, have mercy on me. And four of the most wonderful words ever penned on planet earth. And Jesus stood still. When the crowd uh, denied him, when the crowd rebuked him, when the crowd reproached him, he cried out a great deal more. All I got is a voice. Oh, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still. And paid attention to that one man. You might have unfortunate situations in your past. You might have been, you know, poor or, or not intelligent or whatever it is. But that's not an excuse because God has given you something. And God wants to know what are you going to do? And if what you do qualifies as you taking care of what I have given you innately, I'll trust you with what I have given you gloriously. Several years ago, I was in a program, in, well, I was in a curriculum at my high school, aerospace technology. And um, one, and it was taught by a, a former lieutenant colonel in the Air Force, uh, John Tolliver, Captain Colonel John Tolliver. And one day, he, he says, all right, everybody by their desk. And there was a, a guy came in, everybody by their desk. And we had our, 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 our uh, graphic tools, our, our slanted desk where we could do plot and build and construct and all that kind of stuff and all the kind of things we worked on 
uh, one of our jobs, well, one of our uh, requirements in getting out of the curriculum, we had to build a plane from scratch. It was a BD-5 single-engine, one-person aircraft. We, we had four years to build it. And at the end of the fourth year, when we were ready to graduate, our graduating test was if the plane could fly. Okay? FAA came in and checked everything, and then we made it fly. Well, the guys in the engineering department had to make it right fly, and this is in 1977, make it fly by remote control. That's what we had to do. Great school. So this guy comes in, and Mr. Thomas says, all right, stand by your desk. And this guy just walks up and down. It was 25 guys in class and girls. Walked up and down like this. And then he went back, and he says, okay, you step out. You step out. You and you step out. You step out. And he picked out eight people. Fortunately, I was one of them. And it was not something based on race. He, he didn't choose black guys over white guys, white guys over uh, black guys, girls over guys, nothing like that. It was totally random, as we thought. And so Mr. Talbot says, okay, you're no longer under my uh, control. You go with Mr. Uh, Stebbings. And where are we going, Mr. Stebbings? He said, um, for we got this, we're already arranged with the school. He, we chose, he's going to take with you. You're going to Detroit City Airport. Detroit City Airport, for what? To finish your learning. And this guy was going to teach all of us how to fly. We had ground school, flight school, and then we had planes that we actually learned how to fly on. I had my pilot's license. I got my pilot's license when I was 17 because of that. Found out later his prerequisite was to walk by your desk and see if it was neat or not, if everything was in place or not. He said, I looked to see what you did with what was yours. Then I could determine if I could trust you with what was mine. I had a real life application of this passage of scripture right here. The rest of the kids, smarter than me. Oh, my goodness. I was the dumbest person in the class. But they did not take pride in what was theirs. So they couldn't be trusted with what somebody else had. Saints, I beat this horse. Do you get my point? God expects out of you ministry beyond your gifts and abilities. He wants your ministry to be not of the flesh, but of God, so that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of us. People are supposed to look at us clay toilets, because that's what the word really means, and try to figure out, my goodness, what in the world just went on? Last passage, Psalm 126. Psalm 126. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. Psalm 126. Look what it says, verse number one. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen. Then said they among the heathen. Then said they among the heathen. The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, whereof we are glad. The heathen is supposed to look at this person who seems to be normal, this person who doesn't have any great abilities or qualities, and see what God can do with somebody who trusts him. And the world would then say, boy, God, heathens, people who did not regard their God, probably worships the Baal or Moloch or Chemish, one of the false gods of, of Babylon. And they said, the Lord 
has done great things for them. Not, boy, they're lucky, or wow, he was fortunate, or he just happened to be in the right place at the right time. What a coincidence. No, God has done great things for them. God has done great things for us. Where are we glad? I hate to see a frowned Christian mouth so low you can walk over it in the hallway. You, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I lose perspective when I encounter Christians who frown more than they smile, who are always down, who are always complaining, always wondering why things can't be better. And I said, man, where, what planet do you, what Bible do you read? What God do you have? The happiest place on the top side of earth should be a born-again Christian. The happiest place should be a Christian home in a Christian church. Then was, these people are still in captivity. Then was our mouths filled with laughter and our tongues with singing. Then said they among the heathen, God have done great things for them. That's ministry. That's ministry above your abilities and your gifts. And what a glory. What a glory. You all, some of you know, my dear friend, one of my favorite disciples, John Chaco. John, I got John. John's parents gave him to me when he was 14. That's the youngest guy I've ever had. And every year we go to Camp Berea in uh, Hebron, New Hampshire. And there was a guy there who was on staff, one of the assistant directors, and he would run every morning. And every morning he would run and he'd stop at my, my place, the, the speaker's uh, apartment, and that's why I had John and the other guys I was discipling. He'd knock on my door. And I said, uh, I'd say, hey, Dad. He said, can I come in for a minute? I said, yeah. And he came in, spent maybe huffing and puffing, sweating and everything. Uh, he spent maybe five or ten minutes. He said, okay, I got what I need. I'll go. Now, my arrogance and my pride says, boy, he just came to get a little sunshine from the speaker. Want to hear a word from God. He later told me, he said, Dwight, I suffer from anxiety attacks. I'm a new father. I'm wondering how I'm going to raise my children in this world that's gone crazy. My wife is a very needy person, wonderful person, but needy. She didn't grow up in a great home. And he said, every time I stopped by to see you, I didn't want to see you. I wanted to see the smile on John Chaco's face. He says, it ministered to my soul. Well, it deflated my ego. But nonetheless, he came by to see the gift that John had. And if you know John, to see him smile is worth a million dollars. One of the kindest, most gentle souls I've ever met. You have something. It may be a kind word. It may be the ability to communicate love. You know what? It may be able to, the ability to say something harsh in a way that people aren't hurt by it, but get exactly what needs to be said. What are you going to do with it? Revisit yourself. Sequester yourself. Alone, get along with God and say, what is that you've given me that I may have been sitting on? That I haven't done the best I can with it. And while you've got time and you don't know how much it is, turn that around and let God do something crazy with it. God wants you to be one of these profitable servants. Lord, may it be true of us that at the end of the day, you will say, not here's your crown because that is important. But well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been servant over a few things. I'll make you rule over many. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Lord, may that be our destiny and our determined goal.
to provide for the kingdom what the world cannot understand. Please do so in each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.